1: Thank oh. you. Hello everybody and welcome to another episode of Audio Judo. I'm Kyle. And I am
0: Matthew. Welcome to Audio Judo, your podcast of music discovery. We are proud members of the Pantheon Podcast Network, your premier source of music podcasts. We are glad you have stopped by to listen to us. If this is your first time, welcome. And go back through our list of episodes and I'm sure you'll find something else you enjoy. There are 78 other episodes to love. Uh, if you have been here a while, thank you so much for the continued listening. And by this time, I'm sure you're wondering when we are going to talk about that record. You know, the one you want to hear about.
1: The one that is deep in your soul.
0: Right. Well, there is a way you can make sure that happens by subscribing to our Patreon account. Kyle,
1: tell them what they get. Indeed. If you go to patreon.com forward slash audio judo,
2: let's
1: start, let's start that way this time. The backstage pass tier is our highest tier. It is $20 a month, a little bit expensive, but that's okay because it gets you a very special personalized gift signed by Matthew and I fancy. It also gets you the chance to co-host an episode of audio judo on the album of your choice. That benefit activates after one year of patronage at that tier, and it can only be activated once. Also gets you access to all of our lower tiers features. The lower tier is called the front row seats tier. It's $5 a month. So if you don't quite want to spend that much money, you can still support the podcast. That tier includes two day early access to all the episodes. Shout out on future episode as a loyal producer, uh, bonus mini episodes called judo chops that drop in between every one of the regular episodes and occasional bonus content. That we've usually stuff that we've cut out of episodes because we started ranting about weird stuff, or one of us had uh, gas problems, or your cow was all just randomly things. yelling at me for no reason. I do occasionally randomly yell at you about things.
0: So today we return to what seems to be one of the sweet spots of our podcast, 1973. Indeed, that yeah. year, as well as 1991 and 1987, seem to be where a lot of our episodes focus. Which yeah, means. Kind
1: of- Kind of weird, right?
0: They must be pretty good gears. Apparently. What have you chosen for us today, Kyle? I have
1: chosen the Doobie Brothers, The Captain and Me. Ooh, classic by the Doobie Brothers. Right? And I'm guessing
0: that there is a personal connection to you choosing this record because it's it has it's been on our list of albums for almost two years now.
1: Yeah. So there is. So weirdly, this was one of those, those albums that, for some reason, my dad had the cassette of it in his collection of cassettes. Uh, you know, as a kid from the 80s, that's what people had cassettes. Uh, and for some reason, this album, the the picture on the front of it with the, the bridge that was falling down, and yeah. the, the Doobie brothers themselves on a, a, a carriage with some horses, for some reason that connected with me as a kid. And this was one of the albums that I would always pull out if we were going to go somewhere. And that was a little bit longer trip. And I would say, Hey, can we listen to this in the car, dad? Can we listen to this in the car? And it was one of those albums that my dad knew the song, the lyrics to every single song, and so he would sing along and because of that i would start to sing along because i would start to pick up on the lyrics and it became this sort of album that we connected over uh, you know over over the years uh, a little bit weirdly that's because, adorable right but really it's it's one of those albums i think this album probably i'm not going to say this is the first album i ever heard but it's definitely been with me since i was 5 or 6 years old so it's been with me essentially my whole life i've known i know all these songs inside and out and you know, it has that connection See, between that's me good and dad. So. so
0: this is our third album, contains the classic hits China Grove and Long Train and Running. Yes. Which are Instantly recognizable classic rock songs for anyone that has spent any time at all listening to rock radio through the years. Oh, yeah. Other than those two songs, though, it is not a record that I am readily familiar with. So this episode will uh, be a bit of an education for me as well. Cool. But before we talk about that, we should probably talk about the band that made it, right? Right. The so the Doobie uh, Brothers. The Doobie,
1: which Doobie you be, Matthew? Doobie Doobie. And we'll get to that in a second. Uh, the Doobie Brothers, however, are an American rock band from San Jose, California. Uh, they were formed in the early 1970s. They've had six top 10 songs over their career and 16 songs on the Billboard Hot 100 Top 40. Nice. That is a pretty good record. That's a good number. They've won a Grammy for the best pop vocal performance by a duo or group. uh, And the song What a Fool Believes has, in fact, won three Grammys. Just that one song won three Grammys. Uh, A little bit after the time that we're talking about, but still pretty important. We absolutely should have featured this band on our Rotating Rosters episode because, Christ, have they had a lot they of different They have had a lot members. of players, yeah. The band originally formed, though, when drummer John Hartman came uh, to California to meet Skip Spence of the band Moby Grape. About possibly playing on a Moby Grave reunion right. tour.
0: Psychedelic group Moby Grave. Great.
1: Right? Wow. Oh, wow. Man. Pretty sweet. Uh, Skipper introduced John to singer, songwriter, guitarist Tom Johnson, and they became friends, and they formed the core of what would become the Dewey Brothers. Um, originally, they called themselves PUD, which uh, – <laughs> You mean Public Utility District, right? Uh, maybe. Oh, do you think it means Penis. I think it might be referring what to you think it means something else. The only time I've ever heard the phrase PUD is referred to as uh, pulling your PUD, which is uh, <laughs> if you know what I mean. So <laughs> I don't know what you mean. Okay. But uh, could again, you, do again? you know,
0: the- could you do that one more time? Nice. Okay.
1: PUD, however, did also have a rotating lineup uh, that included Skip Spencer among many, many other musicians. Uh, in 1970, they met and teamed up with Patrick Simmons and Dave Shogun. And played gigs around San Jose. I don't know why that name was so hard for me to pronounce, but I'll- Chagrin? Chagrin. I'll go with it. They adopted the name Doobie Brothers, which was suggested by their friend Keith Dino Rosen- Dino Rosen. Who may or may not have been their roommate or neighbor. No
0: one's exactly sure Nobody's anymore. exactly sure. Which... Probably because they were smoking <laughs> they were so much smoking pot. they were smoking a
1: lot of pot. According to Tom, Rosen said, why don't you call yourself the Doobie Brothers because you're always smoking pot? What? Hartman, however, has said he wasn't involved with choosing the name and didn't know that a doobie meant marijuana until Rosen told him. <coughs> Bullshit. Right?
0: <laughs> That's a bunch of crap.
1: Everyone in the band even agreed that Doobie Brothers was a dumb or stupid name and they intended to change it. We've covered this ground before, better. right? Right? But
0: 52 years later, <laughs> right? still the name. Still the Doobie Brothers. Because they couldn't come up with anything better than the Doobie
1: Brothers. <laughs> right? Uh, They played gigs around Northern California in the 1970s and continued to get a little bit better with their playing. Uh, And in fact, they became a favorite among the Hell's Angels. Hell yeah. And had a recurring gig at one of the biker's favorite venues, the Chateau Liberté in the Santa Cruz Mountains. Sounds like
0: a pretty fancy name for a Hell's Angels bar.
1: I have a feeling- Chateau um, Liberté. You know, going back to my, my dad- Oh, In the, let's say, late 70s, early 80s, um, some friends of his lived in a fourplex, and they had rented all four units in the fourplex because there were a bunch of people that lived there, Mm. and they started calling it the Casbah. (laughs) (laughs) After the song, Rock Rock the the Casbah, in the few stories that I have heard- Honestly, about that place. Sounds like the shithole would have been a much better description for it. <laughs> Chateau Chateau, no, not Chateau That's somebody L'Libretais.
0: else.
2: Yeah,
1: that's, that's Guy. <laughs> uh,
0: Chateau les shit is, is what it is. But but the band's image began to reflect that of their biggest fans. Yes, they Lots began of to leather and leather. motorcycles, even if their music has a kind of an acoustic flair to yeah, it. Yeah.
1: Uh their music at this time, though, was noticed by Ted Templeman, and he signed them to Warner Brothers Records.
0: Ted Templeman, we've heard that name before. We have indeed. That is, uh, he was a Warner Brothers A&R guy, but then he would eventually become intertwined with the career of another band to come out of California a few years later, Van Halen. Yes. He would end up being their de facto manager, producer, and career steerer for the first few years few years of their career uh, and their rise to prominence.
1: Yeah. Uh, after signing with them, they they released their first album, uh, which was self titled, so it's just called The Doobie Brothers in 1971. Sounded nothing like uh, the what they had created before that, right? Which is funny to me. To support that, they went on a, a tour with a group called Mother Earth, and the tour was called Mother Brothers Tour.
0: Mother Brothers, which is fun. Tour that album failed to chart as well. Indeed,
1: it did. It was not uh, not particularly well received, but. Still, you release an album. That's a good starting point. Um, They shuffled some stuff around. They shuffled their lineup around a little bit. Surprise. And then they released their second album, named Toulouse Street, in July 1972. That had the hits Listen to the Music and Jesus is Just Alright on it, which I guarantee if you listen to any classic rock radio stations, You've heard at least one of those. You at no,
0: you at least know. Listen to the music. There's no way you don't know that no,
1: song. There's not any physical possibility. So, but that album was much more polished.
0: Oh yeah, thanks to the addition of engineer Don Landy. Yes, another name familiar to Van Halen fans, as he would be the producer that immediately succeeded Ted Templeman when they chose chose to fire him, because of course. And led them to record this record.
1: Yes. Right? And this gets us up to the point where we're going to talk about the uh, record we're talking about today, The Captain and Me. However, there is one thing I do want to address before we get there. I did not pick a Michael McDonald era Doobie Brothers album. Right. And I'm kind of pissed about that. And if you know anything about the Doobie Brothers, shortly after this, they went on, they signed Michael McDonald, who had been working with Steely Dan and many, many others to come on board. And that was really their hits era. In my opinion. Yeah, yeah. With Michael McDonald. Didn't pick a Michael McDonald album because this one has some personal connections to me. It has a special place in my heart. And because of that, uh, I feel a little bit bad. So, to make up for it, throughout this entire recording, I'm going to keep making Michael McDonald references. Oh, please do. Matthew, I'm going to make some Michael McDonald references. I like it. You like that? I like it Um, too. Peg. <laughs> just gonna just throughout the whole thing, I'm just gonna drop those uh, uh, pretty frequently. Ooh, I little nuggets. Yeah, I don't know what's gonna happen. This just might just happen. So, Captain of
0: Me was released on March 2nd, 1973. Indeed. would become a pretty significant uh, seller on the backs
1: of the two hit singles,
0: China Grove and Long Train Running. Yeah, you have uh, sales
1: particular. I do number seven on the Billboard 200 chart in the U.S., number ten in Canada, number twelve in New Zealand. It eventually went on to go double platinum. Nice. Uh, certified by the URIA, which is pretty good. The lineup for this one, Tom Johnson on guitars, harmonica, arp synthesizer, lead and backing vocals. Patrick Simmons on guitars, arp synthesizer, banjo, lead and backing vocals. Uh, Tieran Porter on bass and backing vocals. John Hartman on drums, percussion, backing vocals. And Michael Hosek on drums, congas, and timbales. Right. Matthew. And what? You are a drummer. Yeah. In fact, uh, uh, you are you are a drummer. Yes, yes. Double drummers. Two drummers. Two drummers. How? Grateful Dead style. How does that work? Because isn't the point of the drummer to keep beat? So doesn't yeah. one of them have to kind of like lead? No. What? Well, how do
0: you? Any good? Any drummer worth its his salt will will get locked into the groove, and they should be like like dead on balls.
1: All right. Well, that seems crazy to me.
0: Yeah. It's a, it was drummers. it was not that uncommon back then. Grateful Dead did it. There were a couple of other bands that did it. I don't know that it necessarily adds a lot to the sound. In a, in a On an album. In a live setting, I th- think it, ad- it could add quite a bit. Yeah. But in a, on an album, I don't think it adds a lot. Okay. Um, for me, this has always been a band I knew very little about, yet I knew several of their songs. But there are so many misconceptions for me as a music listener. For instance, I thought that Michael McDonald was always in this band. I had no idea that he joined after this record even came out.
1: I joined after Captain and me came out. Right?
0: And when you dig down deeper in their catalog, his addition was quite an obvious change. It starts to sound like Michael McDonald later on Mm -hmm. and nothing like this earlier incarnation. And I thought, What a Fool Believes was a a solo song, not a Doobie Brothers song at all.
1: In fact, a Doobie Brothers song.
0: It's weird. So this is one of those bands that also has a ton of misheard lyrics, or even unintelligible lyrics for me. A lot of the time I have I never had any idea what is being sung. So researching the lyrics is quite fun because it's like, no way. That's (laughs) what he's singing? That's totally weird. So also, and this is a a, a story aside before we get to the album artwork. So also, whenever I hear anyone say the Doobie Brothers, I always say, shit. (laughs) So almost instinctively, I say, shit. The reason is because there is a 1983 movie called Romancing the Stone.
1: Oh, yeah. With
0: Michael Douglas and Kathleen (laughs) Turner. And there is a scene where they are seeking shelter in a crashed drug-running plane in the Colombian jungle.
2: Mm -hmm. It's
0: pouring outside, and in order to keep a fire going, they are burning bricks and bricks of pot inside the plane. So they are super high, and at one point, Michael Douglas picks up a magazine from inside the plane that has obviously been there for a couple years. And he says, oh, man, the Doobie Brothers broke up. (laughs) And then he looks at the date. And says, when is this from? Shit. (laughs) And I have no idea why I find this moment in this film so hilarious. But I do. And I laugh at it every fucking time I see it.
1: I'm so happy to hear that. Because Romance (laughs) in the Stone... Romancing the Stone for some reason is one of those weird movies. It's not a popular movie. Most people that are my age have no fucking clue what I'm talking about. It is stuck in my it is stuck in my brain. That movie is in there. I can do it scene by scene almost.
0: So now you say doobie brothers.
1: I say (laughs) Shit. shit. So would you, would you like uh, to talk
0: about the album artwork?
1: Let's talk about my little mule instead.
0: Oh, oh my little mule! My little
1: mule! Yeah. Uh, no, <laughs> let's. Uh, one more thing. I got to. Uh, one more thing. I got to uh, reference really quick. For whatever reason, whenever I think about the Doobie Brothers, I think about uh, which Doobie you be. Do- <laughs> which is uh, from an episode of What's Happening, a show I've never seen. You've never seen What's uh, Happening. I've never seen, with the exception of this two-part episode. You've never heard the.
0: Ween, 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 I've heard, new, the, new, 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 I've heard new, new, the theme
1: song new, uh, But do, more do, as do, like do, a pop culture ween, reference do, do,
0: do, uh, do, do, do. Sorry
1: Anyways, in this episode <laughs> <laughs> of What's Happening Uh, Rerun makes a bootleg recording of the Doobie Brothers, and everybody learns an important lesson about brotherhood and coming together as a diverse community and copyright law, which, of course, is important for everybody. It actually happened about five years after this album. Uh, That episode was released on January 28th, 28th, 1978. But for whatever reason, every time I hear Doobie Brothers, I picture in my head, which Doobie you be? (laughs) That is one of those weird things that has transcended (laughs) – the original. Who no say, Do you nobody, know who says that? Does it, Rerun say it? No, it is. Was um, it Raj? Or I, think is it, it's, I think it's Raj. Or is it Dwayne? I think it's Raj that says Does he it. have I a honestly, super big afro? And, no.
0: Okay. Is it, so does he have glasses on? He does. That is Raj. That's Raj. Okay. <laughs> His his sister's name is D. Yes. And she tries to sabotage She's very sarcastic and yeah.
1: She tries to sabotage his ability to interview the Doobie Brothers, who are his favorite band, but he doesn't know any of their names. Classic, classic episode. Um, Hey, it's a Norman Lear production. Yeah. It's gotta be good. To me, totally outside of my wheelhouse, but so many people that are my age probably know the phrase- which doobie you be, <laughs> but have no fucking clue where that came from. They're like, what the hell are you talking about? Uh, it makes me so happy. Crazy. Crazy. I had to bring it up, though, because so we're good. So, so good. So, the cover art. Yeah. Uh, art direction by Ed Thrasher, who was a Grammy winning, uh, Grammy Award-winning art director of album covers. Yes. It's pretty much what he does. Um, the design is by John and Barbara Casado. John Casado started uh, a studio called Casado Design in 1970 with his then wife, Barbara. Um, sadly, they're divorced now. You know,
0: Actually, he designed the first logo for the Macintosh computer. He did.
1: Yeah. yeah the original, the weird, um, what do they call it? The Matisse yeah. logo, I believe. Crazy. But yeah, he did a whole bunch of work with Warner Brothers, uh, Capitol Records, United Artists, A&M, um, and a lot of independent artists as well to design uh, uh, covers for their albums, which is pretty cool. Photography by uh, Jill Magid and Michael Magid, which could not find any information whatsoever about either one of them? About either I'm, of them? I'm assuming they're either brother or sister or married. They were married. Okay. Uh, Michael Magid
0: uh, did the cover for the Doobies and Van Morrison. He also took the very famous picture of the brawl at Altamont with the oh, Rolling Stones. Cool. Uh, he now works exclusively in uh, digital and graphic design. So isn't oh, really, do, yeah. So very. I cool. couldn't find anything out, out about her. But yeah, he's he took the Altamont picture. So
1: they did also do the covers, more covers for the Doobie Brothers. Yeah, uh, Toulouse and uh, uh, sorry, Toulouse Street and uh, Stampede. Stampede, yeah. The front cover of this is a picture of the band members and manager Bruce Cohn dressed in 19th century costumes, posing on and around an old wagon drawn by four horses. Uh, the setting is below a collapsed bridge on Interstate Five and State Route 14.
0: It's the uh, Newhall Pass interchange,
1: indeed. It was actually destroyed by the Silomar slash San Fernando earthquake of February 9, 1971.
0: And again. And again in
1: 1994. 1994 in
0: the Northridge earthquake. Oops.
1: <laughs> let's rebuild this. Oops. Oh,
0: shit. Did hey, we, do- we got 23 solid years out of
1: it. <laughs> Oops. <laughs> it's a multi-million dollar thing. Don't worry about it. It'll just fall apart. It'll just fall apart again no big deal across the top of the album is a script that says the doobie brothers and the captain and me the back cover shows a similar scene with the band on a carriage moving away from the viewer so you can only see their backsides get it Uh (laughs)
0: uh-huh
1: yeah Yeah. uh the tracks are listed in the upper left corner in a very cursive script it's kind of hard to read in a digital format it is the inside cover shows the band sitting at a fancy table uh, set up on the same I-5 slash State Route 14 overpass. There's also a great article about this, uh, weirdly written for the Santa Clarita Valley History website, uh, which you can find at scvhistory.com, uh, in their section about earthquakes. <laughs> well, there you go. It's not even about, art, uh, not even about album covers. It's about earthquakes. Uh, if you look up article LW2547 on there, you'll find it. All right. Um, And all the props used, including the carriage, came from the Warner Brothers film lot. And Tom Johnson said of this, quote, all that stuff came from the Warner Brothers film studios lot. Uh, It must have been a lot of work for the guys who brought it up, uh, the horse team and the carriage and the clothes. It was fun to do. They had coffins out there, all kinds of crazy stuff.
0: Well, it's nice to have a connection when your label is the same label that owns the (laughs) film studio.
1: Surprise. Warner Warner Brothers. Shared assets are good. Right? So why don't we take a quick break? Let's take a break. We'll come back and do a track-by-track. Track. Sounds good to me.
0: Don't Smother Nature is a one-stop shop for sustainable home goods. They do the research to compile all the best and most affordable options and group them into a convenient online location. With smooth navigation, helpful support, and easy returns in tracking, they make transitioning you and your home to be more earth-friendly A simple and accessible process. They just had their grand opening, so browse their extensive catalog now at don'tsmothernature.com. That's don'tsmothernature.com.
1: Natural
0: thing, Matthew. It's a nice opener. It is. There isn't anything that really stands out in this track, although the guitar work is really nice. You get a nice introduction to the really, really wonderful vocal harmonies that the band utilizes. Yeah. Um, At first listen, it has a Boston vibe to it. Oh, it very much does. At least for the first minute or so. And I think that kind of ends when you get to the chorus. And it has a very familiar sound to it at that point. It's like the signature Doobie Brothers sound that you, you kind of get later in their career. Again, like I mentioned before, I have a hard time understanding what Tom Johnston is singing most of the time, Um, and this is no exception. (laughs) He gets the sole songwriting credit on the song. The first time I listened to it, I did so without the lyric sheet. No idea what he was saying. Fair enough. Uh, So the second time, I used the sheet, and on the surface, it's a straight-ahead song about inclusion and everyone wanting to be loved. Yeah. And look a little deeper, though. It is, although mild, a bit of a Vietnam protest song.
1: I would agree with
0: that. The line, I'm not going to change my method. Get me a big ham bone. I don't know what that is. Oh, I'll get there. Gonna make all the leaders of the country get it together and bring them on home. So while I'm not sure what the ham bone represents, and maybe you do, that's good. That does uh, sounds like a request to bring the boys back from the war. And then within the context of the rest of the song, quote, we all got to be loved, is perhaps a plea for understanding for the boys when they do come home, knowing that we tend to root for our soldiers when they are fighting and then for some reason, ostracize and marginalize them when they come home for whatever reason. It's a very weird phenomenon. It is. But do you know what the ham bone
1: is? I don't directly know what the ham bone is. Okay. So I honestly think he might actually just be referring to a ham bone <laughs> in the concept of throw well, somebody. God,
0: why didn't I think of that? Throw
1: somebody a ham bone <laughs> as in like, it's not quite at the level that a steak is, but it's kind of a mediocre meal, a ham bone. Hmm. Like a ham steak with the bone still in it. All right. The other possibility there is uh, that he's talking about um, ham bone, referring to pork, which is a term that's often used in politics to say, you know, you you pad things with pork. Sure, sure. So you say, oh, you know, we're gonna add a little bit of pork to this, meaning how can we add some pork to the Vietnam War to say, oh no, you should bring people home. You're still gonna make money off. Oh right. That's not bad. Also, uh handbone is the practice of playing music using your slapping your body parts. Exactly. Yep. Uh it's also uh uh four in a row uh strikes in bowling. Four in a row is a hand bone? Yeah.
0: But three is a row, three or three in a row is a turkey. Three's a turkey. Three's a turkey, four's a handbone. Four's a
1: handbone. Weird, right? No, I didn't and know that.
0: I'm going to have Uh, to look that
1: up. I love, love, love the guitar intro to this song. And here's a little snippet of that.
0: I was able to look it up during the break. Handbone oh. is four consecutive strikes.
1: There you go. Easy I, enough. I'm
0: sorry that I doubted you. Yeah. <laughs> the guitar is nice, but there's also some really great ARP programming on this record mm-hmm. by Malcolm Cecil and uh, Robert Marguleth. Marguleth. If you want to learn more about those guys... Go check out episode number 51 of Audio Judo, where we talk about them at length during our Stevie Wonder Talking Book episode. And you can find that at audiojudo.com or anywhere that podcasts are podcast.
1: Indeed. And in fact, on this track, they were specifically looking for a sound similar to the Beatles being for the benefit of Mr. Kite. And I think they did a really good job of it. I can kind of feel it with a little bit of that arp sound in the background. I can feel it.
0: It's a little happier. Yes. than for the benefit of Mr. Kite, which seems a little circusy or clown, I mean obviously that's kind of what the look the yeah. sound they were going for, but
1: When you get to the next and I didn't play a clip of this, that part where he's like those men in the circus, those men on the wire, they'll be hanging 50 feet up though they're counting True. on Lady Luck to bring them through the fire. That sort of background that Noise. Okay, I don't know how to describe yeah, it. Yeah, that's true. Than that. No, the, you had it. That's very circusy. That immediately makes me think of a circus. Okay,
0: so all right, then I I will allow it. I'll allow the connection. You'll allow it. Yeah, Sweet. yeah, that's good.
1: Uh, long train running. What Rhythm the- in this song makes you immediately think of a train. It's one, one of the most
0: recognizable guitar parts to open a song in rock history, yes. along with the next song as well. You might not know who. It is when you hear it, but you have undoubtedly heard it before. It's also written by Johnston. It was released as a single, became a hit, peaking at number eight on the Billboard Pop 100. The song developed out of a jam that had various names throughout the years, including Rosie Pig (laughs) Mosley, and Osborne. Uh, Johnson liked it, but felt like it had no single merit. And Templeman disagreed and convinced him to write lyrics for the song. Go ahead.
1: I would say he said, uh, quote... It had a form, but there was no real verse. We take off and play solos for like a half hour. That's how I always looked at it. So when Ted became adamant and said, quote, this really could have been a good song, end quote, I said, are you sure? (laughs) (laughs) Which, you know, best way to make a song. You sure this is going to sound good?
0: So Johnson sang the song, played the very active acoustic guitar part, also played the harmonica solo in the song. And it's a first-rate harp solo, I can tell you that. It's actually quite excellent. And it has a, a great percussion thing going on with the congos and stuff played by second drummer Michael Hosek. Yeah. um the lyrics, I think, have no specific meaning at all, and they don't have to because they serve the song perfectly. The song is propelled forward all the way through, like you mentioned with that guitar part, yeah uh, or the bass groove, and the lyrics are just riding that wave of the song, and it's perfect, and then add the part of the song, you know quote. Without love
2: sounds like a train whistle.
0: yeah, it's like a train whistle, that love part. And I think it's super cool. and it has one of the greatest lines ever in rock and roll. Without love, where would you be right now? And I think that's just like that makes everybody <laughs> look at it and go, okay, yeah, right?
1: yeah, here's here's a little clip. Like I said before, for some reason, it it's designed to make you think of that long train running. And it really does transport you to like sitting next to a train passing while you're waiting for it to pass. That's Just amazing the noise how music and the does beat. that.
0: Crazy. Can emulate those
1: sounds. It's perfect. China Grove.
0: That's the other hit from the record with right? another totally recognizable riff right at the beginning of the song. And we all know it. Mm-hmm. It's another song written and sung by Tom Johnston, released as a single. It would top out at number 15 on the top 100 and would remain in the top 40 for an impressive eight weeks. You know the story behind the China Grove, right?
1: Yeah. It's a real town in Bexar County, Texas, but the stories told in this song are obviously entirely fictional. However, Tom Johnson didn't know that it was a real place, apparently, when he came up with the name, but then he found out afterwards from a taxi driver in Houston it is a real place And then he realized Oh yeah We drove through there On a bus As a band Several years ago <laughs> And it's not necessarily A complimentary song Not necessarily And
0: I think it would Raise a few eyebrows If it had re- been written now yeah. And released now Just
1: meh. Mm-hmm. Mm. It's just it's I do <sighs> love I will say about this song I think there's a great Guitar riff By Tom here And Bill Payne On the piano Really rips it up In this song Here's a little sample So I do think we should quickly bring up – I know you mentioned probably today this song wouldn't get written anymore. No. And uh, in a Patreon episode we just did a little while ago uh, about the Yellow Magic Orchestra, Mm -hmm. Uh, we talked about uh, orientalization, uh, which is the Western colonialist idea that all of the distinct cultures and peoples of Asia can just be sort of lumped together into one group and then stereotyped, objectified, or fetishized. There's a little bit of that happening here, although I don't think it was done uh, purposefully or with ill intent. I don't think it's
0: malicious, no? No, I
1: don't think it's malicious at all, but there's a little bit of that here. And I think that you definitely have to take this as a product of its time, but it is still a very good song, even though there's a little bit of that there. And like you said, I don't think it would get made today, but it's still an
0: enjoyable song. Oh, and it's got just a- fantastic riff. Oh, yeah. Uh, so you mentioned Bill Payne. He was one of the founders of Little Feet, very accomplished musician in his own right. He would play on and off with the Doobies through the years, most recently uh, in 2015. Uh, a little comment about the China Grove. It's named for a grove of chinaberry trees oh. that used to exist near the train depot in that town. Uh, the chinaberry is also known as the white cedar or the Indian lilac. And the fruit of the tree, if eaten in a large enough quantity, acts as a narcotic to humans. So that's awesome. (laughs) Uh, And this is definitely one of the songs that has misheard lyrics as well. Time to go or diamond row are things that I hear in this song. And when I told Heather that we were doing this record, she said uh, she wasn't sure she knew any Doobie Brothers song. And I started to sing the riff to this song. And she knew it right away. And I said, yeah, that's China Grove. And her eyes got huge. And she said, "That's what he's saying." <laughs> I had no idea. <laughs> so it's not just me. I'm not the only
1: one. Oh, that's fantastic, China Grove. Can... China Grove. What the hell? Well, she could be a dark-eyed Cajun woman. We're talking about Dinah Jove. <laughs> she could be a dark-eyed Cajun woman, though, which surprisingly is the next song on this album. What? I was not prepared. Immediate change in tone on this album. <laughs> Bam! Uh, Goes from these kind of rocky uh, songs to this sort of dark moody song and right from the opening guitar you can tell this is a blues riff song it sounds like this that they really take the time to paint a picture here. It's very nice.
0: Well, yeah, it's just a -a run-of-the-mill song about finding a woman and more or less stalking her in the Delta. You know, as you do. And mentioning several times how she will, quote, never get away. (laughs) Oh, and by the way, she's just 17. Ugh. (laughs) These songs from this time period are just so not good when you really take apart the lyrics musically though (laughs) it's an exceptional song it has more of a bluesy vibe than the songs up to this point like you said it reminds me a ton of a song that wouldn't come out for another 10 years by robert plant called big log
1: okay and it has a
0: lot of that in it uh and this is another song written and performed by tom johnston that's four in a row Mm -hmm. uh once again great guitar work or great piano work by billy payne um this time on electric piano And there's also some great string arrangements by Nick DiCaro. Tom Johnston, though, is quite prolific at this time. So Tom was born in 1948 in Visalia, California, cut his teeth on Bo Diddley, Elvis Presley, and Little Richard, as they all did. And he was in the doobies from 70 to 76 when stomach ulcers forced him off the road and made him uh, convalesce for a while. During that period, Skunk Baxter who had just joined the band, suggested that they replace Johnston with his Steely Dan pal, Michael McDonald, (laughs) (laughs) who quickly became the lead singer of the band. Uh, After healing, Johnston rejoined the band, but saw that his songs slowly were getting dropped from the repertoire. Uh, His contributions to the next album were completely removed, and he chose to leave the band in 76 to pursue a solo career, and it had mixed results. But In 87, he would reform the original lineup of the Doobies, and has been with them ever since. It's a nice full circle story, but it just adds to my point, never trust Michael McDonald. (laughs) He just seems sketchy to me. He's like just sketchy.
1: Matthew, you can't trust Michael McDonald. Don't fucking fucking trust that guy. Don't trust me when I do anything. (laughs) (laughs) Tom did say that this was actually designed as a tribute to B.B. King, and I can absolutely hear that. This song? Yeah. yeah, and I whether that. that was whether that was intentional or like a, an afterthought, I don't care. You can hear it. Oh, definitely. Yeah.
0: Yeah, I like it. I mean, it's uh, a good song. Yeah, Clear as the
1: Driven Snow.
0: First song on the record, not written by Johnston. Yep, written by Patrick Sims and Simmons. It sh- and it shows. Oh, yeah. It is completely different from those earlier songs. Once the,
1: again, a complete tonal change again on
0: this album. Right? First part of the song is... W- way more folkier than anything else up to this point. The vocal harmonies are very reminiscent of uh, Crosby, Stills, and Nash. Oh, yeah. Uh, there's a lot of great finger picking on the guitar, kind of like the recently released Led Zeppelin song, Battle of Evermore from mm-hmm. Led Zeppelin 4 that came out like two years before. The second half of the song picks up a bit, and it has this great groove, but those beautiful vocal harmonies still remain. And the musical part at the end of the song, actually the last two-plus minutes... Are probably my favorite part of the whole album Oh, interesting Uh, It's a wonderful showcase for pretty much everyone in the band And I just love it
1: Well, here's the little clip of it All right So according to Johnson, this is actually a warning about recreational chemical abuse, uh, which uh, reflected on the band's members' lifestyles at the time. So uh, snow is cocaine, Matthew. I don't okay. know if you got that reference like I had not. to
0: look really hard for that. but okay. I did too. Like, but.
1: Mm, I don't know. So again, the ARP synthesizer kind of comes in here. It makes that interesting wind noise that uh, – <laughs> And it's like, wow, what a interesting use of that. I would not have expected that to be there. Me either. Sure, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> um, sure, flip sure the, whatever. Let's flip the record over and start with uh, Without You.
0: Another song about a guy begging his woman to come back. Yep. And also- No shortage of those songs. No.
1: Writing credits to all five members of the band on this one.
0: Right? right. Shared vocal parts by
1: Johnston and Simmons. mm mm-hmm. uh, 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 Go ahead. Total change in tone again. I know, it's crazy. Much more hard rock. Uh, Here's a little clip of it.
0: So one thing that escaped me about the Doobies until now is just how really effective riff writers they were. Yeah. I mean, every single one of the hard-driving rock songs has this great, simple riff that really makes it stand out. And they use some flange on the song really well. So it's a really great-sounding song. And it was released as the B-side to Long Train Running. Mm -hmm. So for you kids out there, long ago... When you bought a single, it was a smaller version of an album called a 45. <laughs> and it had the A side, which was the primary song, and a B side that was a lesser known song. He
1: bought one single, he got two. It's a bonus. Wow. Right? So apparently they play this live in almost every concert, and sometimes it stretches out to 15 minutes or more because it's just kind of a jam song. Oh, boy. Including <sighs> ad-lib lyrics by Tom Johnson, which sounds awesome. Awesome. <laughs> got to be honest. It sounds awesome. <laughs> Being drunk at a concert and just having this going for 15 minutes. Like you're just- I, your I went to the bathroom here. two
0: times. They're still playing it.
1: We're still going.
0: That'd I got—I I peed. I got a beer. I came back. I drank the beer and I had to go to the bathroom again. I peed. I came back. They're still playing this. Song. Yeah,
1: they're still going. Still going with, uh, without you. However, mm-hmm. the next song, South City Midnight Lady- we got to highlight Jeff Skunk Baxter on the pedal steel guitar. Yeah, right. Wow, I've
0: uh, I've come in close contact with that guy. Oh, really? He's a little scary. Really? Yes. Yeah, he the uh, venue that I work at um has hosted a uh, conference a couple times mm-hmm. that his current band American something or other I can't remember plays at. So it's him, uh, a guy that used to be in Boston, a guy that. Used to be the drummer for James Brown, a guy that used to be in another band. And Skunk Baxter not only plays the guitar in this band, he's also a featured guest on the panel because he is also an expert in missile defense. Yes. Go look it up. What? Look it up. Jeff Skunk Baxter is an expert in national defense and missile programs and it's the weirdest fucking thing you could ever imagine huh. because he comes out there with his little bolo tie and his gray ponytail and his beard. And I'm like, is that a guy from fucking Steely Dan? And then he sits down and he starts talking about the the <laughs> defense mesh systems that we use. And I'm like, I don't know what's happening. And then four hours later, he's playing uh, he's playing Doobie Brothers songs on stage. It's the weirdest thing. Weird. Very strange.
1: Yeah, like you said, he was one of the founding members of Steely Dan before uh, Becker and Fagan decided that they were going to break up the band (laughs) and use session musicians. Right. So then he joined the Doobie Brothers full-time, which actually happened after this album, but he was here to play the steel guitar on this one. I'm kind of
0: torn, Kyle. Do you think this song is about his lady, like the singer's lady? He works evenings, she works days, maybe he gets home, she's already sleeping, but just seeing her there is kind of restoring to him. Or is this song about a prostitute? I can't tell. I
1: wrote that same thing. Okay, good. Is this about a long lost lover or a lover who's still there or about a prostitute?
0: He's out walking the streets. He's clearly a drunk because he has the shakes and he's drinking cheap whiskey all the time. He can't sleep. He's got the blues, but she saves him and I can't really settle on it. it. It, But my feeling is prostitute.
1: have, Have a clip here.
0: This is a follow up to what I said. I just pulled up Jeff Baxter's Wikipedia page and it says he has worked as a defense consultant and chaired a congressional advisory board on missile defense. It's so weird. So anyway, the song sounds about as close to country as anything else on here, except for the very weird middle section that kind of meanders around with no point. And I'm guessing that is acting like a bridge to the back, but I don't like it. I don't care for it. Feels out of place. Uh, But Patrick Simmons' guitar work in the song is very nice. Patrick Simmons was born in 1948 in Aberdeen, Washington. And then other than a couple of solo records released in the 80s when the Doobies temporarily disbanded, his whole career has been with them. And he was inducted, along with the rest of the band, including Jeff Skunk Baxter, into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame in 2020. If you see some old footage of the band, you could spot him very easily. He has this mountain of long hair and he shakes his head vigorously when he plays the guitar and his hair just kind of flails around all over the place in front of his face with his giant mustache and hair. It's a mane, you know, it's significant. It's big. You know, I was talking to myself the whole time and Kyle was, I was just pretending that Kyle was right here. I was right here the whole time for whatever it is you just said about a big head. I saw you about Patrick Simmons long long hair. Oh right, of course. Uh I heard the whole thing. Do you have more on that song? Uh no, that's about it. The uh, evil woman
1: it, it is it is about the south side of San Francisco. Oh. But the south band City? claims? No, yeah. just south side of San Francisco. Oh. But the band cl- does claim that it isn't about any woman in particular. Mm. Hm. Mm. Evil woman, however, is
0: then immediately the next song. And I hope he's not talking about the same woman from the last song. That's he could weird. be, though. Because it was written by Simmons, so it could be. Mm-hmm. This song bears no resemblance to the song of the same name released by Electric Light Orchestra a couple of years later. No, it is not. Uh, I think the only similarities are that they both yell, evil woman. Evil woman. In the chorus.
1: This is the song, however. <laughs> do you remember when we were interviewing Chris Tapp from The Cold Stairs? I do. And I said, There's a Doobie Brothers song that sounds a lot like what you guys are doing right now, but I, I can't don't remember, the name remember of that it. at all. This is it. This is the song. Really? This song bears so much resemblance to what they are doing. There has to be some influence there. <laughs> and I guess, I'm guessing you like this song. I do like this song because nice. I like The Cold Stairs quite a bit. It's a
0: normal rocker, there's not much to it.
1: Yeah. Uh, here's a little clip. Evil Woman. I, I don't know what else to say about it. I like it. It's a good song. It's. I'll tell you, it sounds much better really, really loud. That's
0: true. Lyrically, it's more uh, about how beautiful his lady is and how she will possess you and steal your soul because she is all that. Uh, it's an all right song, but it's kind of forgettable to me. But the bass playing is good. Tyron Porter is the bass player of record here. Yeah. Uh, Tyron Porter was born in 1948 in Lawndale, California. And he would be with the Doobies from 72 to 80, and again from 87 to 92 when he left for good. He most notably was very popular in the mid-80s as the mentor for a number of Quincy Jones protégés, including one Michael Jackson.
1: Michael Jackson. That is correct. Interesting. Yes. So the last three tracks on this album all kind of blend together into one big song. Yeah, they kind of do. But it starts with a track called "Busted Down Around O'Connelly Corners," which you said earlier is your favorite track on this album.
0: Oh, I was just fucking with you.
1: Oh, <laughs> weirdly, this track not listed on the sleeve. Guitar played by Patrick Simmons. Uh, I did not grab a clip of this song. Yeah, it wasn't my favorite. It is favorite. only forty-eight seconds right. long.
0: That's why I was giving you shit because you said you didn't grab a clip oh. of it. I was just, I was messing with
1: you. Well, Well. <laughs> Uh, however, <laughs> weirdly enough, funny. Funny. writing credit for this goes to James Earl Luft. Yeah, did you find anything about that? He doesn't appear to be a real person. That's what I thought. If you follow the link on Wikipedia, it goes to an article for Seattle Jim Page, Correct. a musician and busker from the Seattle area with a long career in both music and activism, who may or may not have written this because it does kind of fall within his category of music. I don't know. But it might it's also weird. just be a tribute to him. I, I don't know. It's weird. If you know the answer to this, get in touch with us, info at audiojudo.com. However, it does blend directly into the next track, Ukiah. Uh,
0: It's a song written by Tom Johnston about the Ukiah area. Mm -hmm. Ukiah is a region in North Middle California known mainly for its cattle grazing and farming. Johnston said he used to camp in that area a lot when he was a kid and wanted to write a song about it. Although admittedly, he would never have made it as a farmer, he said. And I like these lyrics, some of my favorite on the record. The mountain streams that rush on by... Show the fish a jumpin' and reflect the open sky. The fresh, clean smell of the pines, symbol of unchanging times, all around this sacred land. Strangely, though, I found my way. Right here, I'm gonna stay in this land. Ukiah,
1: whoa. Oh, very nice. I like that. It's nice. Yeah. It's got a nice bouncy rhythm to it. I I like the synths on this, even though they're a little overbearing. They're kind of that wah, 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 wah. Here's a little clip. All right. old uh, guitar solo in there. I love that guitar solo. And it's great. And then this, unless you have more to say about it, you kind of- No, it all leads to the title track, right? right? The Captain and Me. Uh, banjo here, played by Patrick Simmons, which is uh, very nice. hmm According to Johnson, the captain is no one in particular, and the lyrics were written at the last minute and have no real meaning.
0: That's weird, because this song is <laughs> way more cosmic lyrically than anything else on the record. Right. Musically, it lines up with the rest, but lyrically- we are the people of the roundabout. We are the sails upon the sea. We're going to be there when everybody laughs about the way that we are changing you and me. That's some hippie stuff right there. Yeah. And not stuff that fits in with, you know, your leather clad hell's angel motif. It's kind of a bit of a strange ending.
1: Yeah, a little bit weird. Here's a here's a little clip to oh, yeah? uh, wrap it up. are all acceptable. Right? And there's a weird
0: connection for this song to me as well. Hmm. So years ago, uh, the New York Yankees had a catcher named Thurman Munson, Mm -hmm. who was very good. He was an all-star, actually. Uh, Apparently, he really liked this song and its positive message. Uh, Munson was tragically killed in a plane accident in 1979 while he was still a player when he was practicing takeoffs and landings in his Cessna. Oh, sad. Uh Ron Blomberg was a sports journalist and wrote a biography about Munson and named it The Captain and Me after oh. this song, and because Munson liked the song. So I never knew why he named it that after all these years. I used to see this book all the time in the sports biography section and thought, well, fuck, that's a weird name. <laughs> and now I know. So all these years later, my answer. It's right here. There you go. Came right? from doing this podcast. I know. Isn't that great?
1: That's fascinating. And that—that's the captain in me. That's the captain in me. The song and the album. Right. It's definitely, like I said, it has a personal place in my heart. But I do think it's a really good Doobie Brothers album, a pre Marco McDonald Doobie Brothers album should have done more Michael McDonald through this, but I kept forgetting. That's okay. You can sue me.
0: Thank Uh, you so much. I I want to thank you for picking it, Kyle, because I would have never picked it or most likely listened to it without this being your choice. And I hope that will inspire some of you to go out and check this out. It's quite good. Yeah, please do. And if you want to watch a a version of this podcast and see how ridiculous we look while we talk about it.
2: Yeah, we've been uh, drinking.
0: (laughs) You can check out our YouTube channel by going to our website at audiojudo.com and clicking on the YouTube link at the top. Or you can get us, get a hold of us any number of ways. Yeah, if you
1: want to tell us what you thought of the captain and me, uh, facebook.com forward slash audio judo at audio judo on Twitter at audio underscore judo on Instagram. Or you can email us info at audiojudo.com. That one we do both get on our phones. And respond pretty quickly, too. So if you want to get in touch with us immediately, that's the way to do it.
0: Uh, yeah, we have episodes coming from Green Day, The Zombies, Radiohead. So we hope you stick around for that. Other than that, we will talk to you all in
1: two weeks. Take care, everybody.
0: Until then, Bye-bye.